Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah K Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. So, NFL playoffs. I know uh, you guys probably haven't heard my voice in a minute. Uh, I'm coming right in. And, you know, conference championship weekend or conference championship week uh, and heading into the conference championship weekend. Uh, AFC, NFC conference championship already set. Um, but you guys know. We got we gotta talk. We gotta talk this past division around. We gotta talk Cowboys. We gotta talk Bills. We have to talk about the Chiefs. We gotta talk about the just, you know, the storylines and you know the, the the surrounding stuff of these teams losing and so forth. Um so yeah, like I always tell you guys, I just got back into my spring semester of college. So spring semester just started for me. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to fill out my schedule and so forth, but we're back on the road, we're back on it. Um yeah, so I, I greatly appreciate everybody supporting. And you guys know how we do it. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kit of the Isaiah Kit Podcast. So, um, you know, I, like I said, shouts out to everyone listening. Greatly appreciate it. Um, and we, I, like, I don't want to waste no time. And it's, it's, so, it's always darning and fitting because there were so many great storylines. Uh, Mahomes and his one-leg performance – uh, Jacksonville, you know, granted they lost, but Jacksonville having a really good season, kind of frankly overachieving and tre- Trevor Lawrence, you know, taking that next step. Uh, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals continue to impress. Josh Allen and the Bills, there's a lot of questions. Uh, Philly dominated the Giants, but the Giants, similar to the, to the Jaguars, I mean, and the Giants, they don't, like, the mere fact that they even got to the playoff, like crazy, crazy overachievement um, for the Giants. And then we have also the Niners winning, advancing to the NFC Championship game. For I, th- I think that's the third time in four years. And then, but to, it, we got to start with the Cowboys. We're, like, you know, we got to start with the Cowboys. That's what everybody does. They need to, like, we got to start with the Cowboys loss. And I'll tell you guys this. I'll say this, and I'm usually a guy. I'm a. I've been a huge. Not a. I'm not gonna say a huge, but I've been a Dak supporter. And even for me, I can admit that Dak Prescott is not elite. I knew that before this year. I knew that before this past weekend. I knew that even after watching the Tampa Bay game that Dak Prescott is not an elite quarterback. He's a good quarterback. Not great. Not elite. He's not in the Mahomes, Joe Burrow, you know, like he's not in that that tier, in that class. When I look at, this is the truth. This is going to be the harsh truth about the Dak Prescott and the Cowboys situation. Because now we have, the Cowboys now have a guy that for the next few years he's going to be making upward of 40 million dollars 45 million dollars if we want to be exact so like this is a little sticky situation because we all know we all i think we've we could all come to the realization even like i said even as a dac supporter he has a ceiling he has a ceiling and i rave like Dak checks all of the boxes in terms of the intangibles the intent like he checks all of the boxes and like intangibles matter, intangibles matter, but often he has he checks all the boxes with the intangibles, but he struggles and he's missing 
the tangible things. He's missing it. And he's he's frankly, ultimately, a guy who he needs overwhelming support around him in terms of his cast to be at his best, which is not a knock. I feel like when when people when people say certain stuff like that, like a guy, a certain guys needs more support, they need really good support systems and a really good cast. Like, no, it's not a knock, but it is the reality. And I think the more and more we try to push away from that reality, you have instances like this where continuously Dak looks really subpar at times. That's just a fact. Last week, he he played the hell of a game. He played the hell of a game. But there's like, but before the week before that, he played versus Washington and he didn't look too good. And like, like it's like a, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a reoccurring theme where it's like, okay, plays well the next game, then next game he kind of wets the bed, and the following game he has a career day, and then the following game it's, it's like it's bad, it's bad. And I'll say this for me, I'm just talking on a general base level. I, I've kind of I've already dived in and dipped into the film a little bit from the 49er game. And by, by the way, the 49ers, <laughs> the 49ers are really damn good. So let's let, let's also keep that in perspective. Like the 49ers, they have they have number one defense for a reason. Um, they the the talent just not only on offense, but the talent on defense for this roster is is you, you can start with Fred Warner, that Bosa, like the talent is just overwhelming. So it's a great collection of talent, and they, they're a great unit. So let's not, you know, struggling against the 49ers, let's not make it seem like it's a like it's a huge thing. Like, no, it's 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 something that a lot of quarterbacks with this defense is superbly and well put together in, in town all over the place. But there's mistakes for, with me watching the film. There's mistakes and there's throws that and plays in year seven that Dak just can't make. There's certain plays where he you just can't you just can't make, especially in these type of moments and situations within the playoff game and playoff setting and the caliber opponent. But also you're in year seven. And you're the guy, you're the face of the franchise. And you're left with this situation, like I said. Ultimately, and this is, he's a good quarterback. He's good to a point, and this is the point. Like, he's good to a point. He's good to a T. He's good to a certain situation, to a certain extent. He ain't great. And that's all it is. That, that, that That's all it is. I know it sounds really baseline and maybe even simplistic, but that's what it is. I thought Mike McCarthy is, you know, we can we can dog him. We can dog Mike McCarthy for the last play, right? We can, you know, that like that was stupid. But I thought Mike McCarthy, I thought he coached a pretty good game. I thought for the most part, especially in the first half, I thought the defense played a played a good game, played good enough to win. But you look at Dak and the turnovers, um, the the interceptions, and that's been a, a really big focal point since his return off the injury. But like 
those interceptions. One of the interceptions came deep in, in your own territory, so you gave the opposing offense a short field, and you guaranteed them at least three points. You spotted them three points, so boom, there you go. And then the other interception, the second interception, came in the red zone, so you took away points from your team, and you had a chance in that moment to take the lead. So it's just certain situational things where Dak, like I said, in year seven, and I can point out more, I can point out more situational things. I'm just pointing out the turnovers, which, which, you know, left really a six point swing, do you say a nine point swing? Because then that turnover, that second pick, not only did he take away points from his team, but he also then like the 49ers went on to kick a field goal. So it was that's like those two turnovers were kind of like a nine point swing. So that just those two plays in itself, that's a no-no. You like you were not gonna beat the 49ers or a caliber team like that when you when you take away points and you basically like you just there's a nine point turnaround. And that's what I'm saying. Like the 49ers, they're the better team, right? You like you you look it up, you, you look at their defense, their offensive talent, it's premium talent all over the damn field. And I think Brock Purdy is good. I don't think Brock Purdy is like the second coming, right? I think he's good, but a lot of it reminds me a little bit of Dak's rookie year, where like you you got you got boatload of talent, you got great offensive play calling, great a great offensive philosophy. They you can run like your your offense can run the football. You have a Hall of Fame left tackle. You got All Pro tight end. You got receiver. Like you look around. You, you, you got Lambos and Ferraris and so forth. So it, it, I think Brock Purdy's good. I don't think he's great. I think he's good, but I just think he's not, you know, he's not making, he's not costing the 49ers games. He's not like, it's nothing crazy. He's not doing anything special. He's just making the right play, putting the ball in the right situations. And, you know, his team, his coaching staff, it's a great collectively. It's great collectively. But with Dak, time and time again, you see that like there's there, I think there's clear identifiers that he has a ceiling, which is like I said, he's a good quarterback. You can win games with good quarterbacks, and good quarterbacks, just because they're not Mahomes and Burrow and at like it's okay. We 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 clearly know and see that those guys are they're different. They're in a different class, but you can win a Super Bowl with a good quarterback. Now it just takes a little bit more. There, there, the the supporting cast has to be better constructed when you have a good quarterback, a quarterback to like a Dak Prescott, a Kirk Cousins level. The the you know the structure and the way how you built your roster has to be done a bit more a bit like better it has to be better strategically as where Mahomes Burrow you can have you know a makeshift offensive line you can have some pieces missing on the offensive line you can have a, a shoddy hit or miss defense you can have that type of thing you can have mediocre coaching and still get away with it with Dak you can't and that's the issue that's that that's the issue Dak, the, the, he's a good quarterback, 
And now he's making 40, he's like I said, he's making upward of $45 million. So he's this this upcoming year in 2023, he's gonna take up 21% of the Cowboys salary cap. 21%. I now over the summer when we were talking about quarterbacks and quarterback contracts and when Kyler Murray was getting paid, and we talked about future extensions or future quarterbacks that will get extensions. I, I, I always tell you guys this. In NFL history, no team, no team, or I should say, how should I frame this? It's a stat. No player was making 15% or more of the team's salary cap, and their team went on to win the Super Bowl. So basically, the golden, and this could be, this could be proven to be wrong. Um, And just because, like, an anomaly doesn't make it wrong. But essentially, it is really, really hard, damn hard, almost up until this point, impossible to to pay a player slash a quarterback fifteen percent of your of your team salary and to win a Super Bowl. It's it just hasn't been done. The closest was the the twenty twenty Buccaneers with Tom Brady. He was making fourteen percent of the team salary. He was just at 14%. But Dak is taking up 21% of the Cowboys' salary cap. That's a huge hit. So you know what that means. That means you're not going to be able to afford that right tackle. You're not going to be able to have that second, third receipt. You're not going to be able to pay those guys. You, The Cowboys, this is a sticky situation because now – his that 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 big time that big time expense extension money it start it's going to kick in now it's going to kick in and the cowboys their margin for error in terms of who they pay and how they construct and how they construct their roster it's very slim the margin for error becomes slimmer and slimmer and this is why it's this is why you know like i said people may not like it the cowboy fans may not like it but this is why people are banging on Dak because it's like, okay, you got to answer the damn call. $45 million on a yearly basis, you got to show up. And the Cowboys, ultimately, they're paying a Ferrari. They're paying a Ferrari price. They're paying a Rolls Royce price. But in terms of the outcome and the performance, I, a RAV4, like, they're, they're paying they're paying they're paying a Lamborghini price for a RAV4 at the end of the day. Like that performance versus the 49ers on Sunday, that 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 wasn't Lamborghini type. That wasn't Lamborghini. That wasn't Ferrari. That was that was RAV4 Toyota type stuff. Like that that's just not going to cut it. That's just not going to cut it at all. And you watch Brock Purdy, you watch Dak Prescott, could you really see that like Dak is maybe Dak is better, right? But how much, like, the, the gap, both both are, you know, can throw it a little bit. Purdy probably a better pure passer. Both are, they got some wiggle to them, but they're not, like, uniquely athletic or gifted with their, you know, with their mobility. Could you really see the big difference between Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy? Because when I watch Mahomes and when I watch Joe Burrow and they're playing against a good quarterback, I can see the difference. 
Like, I can see the difference between Joe Burrow and Kirk. Like, I can see it. I didn't see a huge gap between Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy. And like I said, it's no knock because I think Dak is a good quarterback. But from what I saw on Sunday, that's just not going to cut it, especially for $45 million. Point blank, period. Okay, so let's shift gears um, <clears throat> to, I think, the team, um, the Bills. I ain't, you know, let's just shift gears to the Bills. And the Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> because first, the Bills. Coming into the year, they were my Super Bowl pick. Um, but I, I quickly, I quickly told you guys, I said, this, this football team is, they're good. They're good, but they're highly, highly flawed and a divisional playoff loss to like a Kansas city or to a Cincinnati would not even surprise me. Since the Cincinnati Bengals and I, the, with the bills, I say this, I think all year we, we over I'm going to say it. We overrated their talent. We looked at Buffalo, and this is why I said what I said a few months ago. I said, you know what? Cincinnati, the Bengals is what the media and what everybody else think the Bills really are. Like, that's the Bengals. We, everybody within the media, a lot of fans thought that the Bills were the most balanced team. They thought that the Bills had a top 10 defense. They thought that the Bills had weapons galore. So with every like everybody thought Buffalo was just heads and shoulders, like the best, most talented team, at least in the conference, at least in the AFC, but probably in the whole entire league. But honestly, Cincinnati is what everybody thought Buffalo would be. I told I, and I told I, I've said that. About past two months now, like since Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving, I've been saying Cincinnati is what everybody thinks Buffalo is. That's that's Cincinnati. That's the Bengals. That's what make the man, the Bengals so so damn good. They're the most balanced team. Now, just because they're the most balanced, that don't mean they're necessarily the best. But they're the most balanced. They can play in any type of game. They can win. Damn near any type of any type of way, whether it's they're explosive enough to beat you in a shootout where they got Joe Burrow. He's a gunslinger. He is slinging around the yard. He got weapons to throw to. They can beat you that way in a shootout. They can beat you in a in a really physical game where they can run the football. They can play good defense. They can get to your quarterback. Joe Burrow can make enough plays in the passing game where they're just they're slugging away and they can beat you that fact. Like. They can come back. They have a variety of ways to win. And that the Bills are the total opposite. They're the total opposite. But come, it's funny. Coming into the year, the Bills were looked upon as, like, the way I'm describing Cincinnati, that's how the media and everybody across football were describing the Bills. But the Bills were, are the complete opposite. They're not the most balanced team in the league. They're they they are very very much a one trick pony offensively. Their weapons are not as they're not as talented as we thought. And I'm not saying Buffalo has a bad team, but 
Buffalo, I'm trying to get you guys to understand, and, you know, there, there may be a little bit of amnesia around the football world and sports world and NFL, but coming into the year, and especially after that that Rams game on Thursday opening night, we were, oh, everybody was like, oh, here come Buffalo. And we thought they were everything that I'm saying about Cincinnati. That's who we proclaim Buffalo to be at the start of the season. And quite frankly, they have they didn't display that type of dominance and they didn't really fit the characteristics that we were labeling and giving them at the beginning of the season all year. They never looked at they like they look good. They look a good team. They like a team belonged in the playoffs that could win multiple playoff games and we never put it past them that they could make and win the Super Bowl but we we were eat like it became really easy and apparent early on they got some major flaws they couldn't run the football they they can't they some way somehow they lose some close nail biting games like they can't win close games they can't close out football games their defense a little sketchy. So we looked at Buffalo and we just we we had this, I guess, preconceived notion and bias that they were going to be the cream of the crop. But instead, we look at we obviously Kansas City is Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. That don't even gotta be discussed. But Cincinnati. We looked at that. I don't know. I, th- I guess some people looked at the run last year as a fluke, but Cincinnati's for real. And the swagger, the confidence, the poise, the the like th- th- this team it really rubs off. Joe Burrow, he he's special, man. It like his swagger, his confidence, his poise, his comfortableness. It really rubs off, and it shows all throughout this roster. Offense, defense, don't matter what unit. They show how confident they are. So it's 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 to Buffalo with Buffalo, it's a bit disappointing because we, like, like I said, everybody looked at them a certain way this year. But if you really peel back the layers of their roster and looking offensively and defensively, you can just look at the offense – where I told you guys they were very, very Josh Allen dependent to Josh Allen dependent, which I felt like, hey, Josh Allen, not saying this is the total, this is the reason why, but I think it's one of the reasons why Josh Allen had so many turnover and turnover worthy plays. It's because he's asked to do so much and to carry so much weight. It's where he he at times I feel like he he feels overwhelmed and he just can't like he just he just folds. So it's no knock on Allen. I do think his decision making can be very questionable at times. But like I said, some of that I think goes into the fact that they're so dependent on him. He's their passing game. He, damn, he's their running game. I also think he gets a bit like Stefan Diggs. He gets, he gets a bit too Stefan Diggs happy. But you look at this offense, the other pieces surrounding it. Eh, I mean, they're okay. Like Gabe Davis, he has one good game every month. Like he, ha- he might have a game each month where he catches like two, three touchdowns, and we're like, oh, Gabe Davis can really play. Well, I mean, that, like that's once, that's once every month. Uh, you know, after, other than that, he, you know, he's 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 here and there. He, he's there. He he comes and he goes. Uh, 
So we look at Buffalo. I thought I, you know, you look at their talent. I thought we overrated it, and they have they have they got some big flaws, some flaws that we didn't even know coming into the year, and that was really just hard to identify. Um, but it's 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 going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, and what they what type of tweaks and improvements they make in the offseason. And as for Cincinnati. I think they are the team that is best equipped to beat Kansas City. I think they are. I think they have the quarterback play. I think offensively they have what it takes. I think more so defensively they can get stops. And they, first of all, and I don't think they, they're not scared of Kansas City. Like they have because they they beat Kansas City obviously the last three times that they have played last year in the regular season in the AFC Championship game last year at Arrowhead. Or as the Cincinnati players call it, Burrowhead. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but they beat them at Arrowhead last year in a, at the AFC Championship game, and then this past year, and then in the regular season. So I think Cincinnati. I've been telling you guys this all year, or for a good part of the year, a good stretch of the year, where they have what it takes, and I think they're the best team, the best equipped team to beat Kansas City. Facts. Okay, so with the playoffs, right? The playoffs happening, playoffs occurring, uh, and even I saw it with some of the with some of the, like the the big time bowl games in college football. You know, what we do oftentimes in sports. <clears throat> we have what I, what I've realized and what happens. Like what happens in sports is we only, and it, I think this is like this is kind of like real world type of stuff too. Where like. We only pay attention to like how the season ends, like the final ending result. And with that final ending result, we usually try to make uh, like this great determination on someone or a team season, depending on how it ends. So like, I don't I, like I say, so I say that like you look at how point in case the national championship game, college football playoff. Georgia versus TCU. Now, Georgia absolutely pummeled TCU. But we can all admit, like, and, every, and I, there were people that and what sparked this was like, hey, it's playoffs. But I would spark this idea or, like, uh, this notion about that I think people have that we do in sports oftentimes. It's because, like, after the national championship game, people are like, oh, TCU didn't deserve to be there. TCU did not deserve to be there. And it's like, no, they did. They they deserved to be there because they handled business within the regular season. They were one of the more consistent teams in college football this year. And honestly, I mean, you look at like who they be, like they had mo I think they had the most top twenty five college football playoff wins out of any team in the country, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So they definitely deserve to be there. And then they beat Michigan in the semifinal. And it's just this weird, like, I, I think I said it, but if Michigan and TCU were to play 10 more times, Michigan would probably beat them seven, eight times. But that one or two times, it happened, actually, like, the one case, the one time where TCU actually, everything goes well, and they beat Michigan, that was the one time. And then Georgia, if they play, if TCU played Georgia 10 more times, Georgia will probably win all 10 games, but I'm sure all 10 games, like, wouldn't, it wouldn't be 65 to 7. It wouldn't be this crazy, like, no. 
it it would it wouldn't look that way. So I think it's just that rare occurrence where it's like nine times out of ten, that doesn't happen. TCU doesn't get beat like that. And then so with TCU getting beat like that, it then it opens up that world of like, hey, this is why Alabama should have been in the playoff. And it's like I'm I totally disagree with that notion. And that's why I say, like, I think in sports, we oftentimes we we like and I'm not saying sometimes it's not wrong or it's not right. But I just I just think it's funny because, like, look at the Seahawks. They had let's be let's call it a spade. They lost to the 49ers, which we expected them to in the wild card round. But they had a great season. And I'm not saying people are saying that the Seahawks are kind of fraudulent, but some were some people were saying, hey, I don't know if this Seahawks team is better than the Lions team that didn't make the playoffs, even though the Seahawks beat the Lions. But at that point in time, the last few games of the regular season leading up into the playoffs, the Lions did look like a better team. But that doesn't take any away from thing that doesn't take anything away from Seattle. But the Seahawks, you gotta really look into their what happened this year. Because we, we tend to have a little bit of selective amnesia, I say. You look at Seattle, first of all, their quarterback situation. If we're being completely honest, Drew Locke was supposed to start for the Seahawks. But he gets COVID. He misses a preseason game. Geno Smith takes over. Geno Smith plays pretty well. Geno Smith does. He he plays and he starts in the season opener. Geno Smith wins and play well in the season opener. And then there there goes Geno Smith Pro Bowl season. There goes Geno Smith. I think he finished second in the league in completion percentage, over forty two hundred passing yards, thirty touchdowns. Like there 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 it all goes. That doesn't happen if Drew Locke doesn't simply get COVID. If Drew Locke doesn't get COVID, Drew Locke probably starts the season. We don't know, you know, we don't know how it, the outcome plays out. But you look at the Seahawks, they also benefited from, hey, like their division was not good this year. Like their division was not good. You had the 49ers and then trash. It was the Rams who were the worst defending Super Bowl champs in league history. They like they like that's a fact. They have the most losses out of any defending Super Bowl champion this year, ever in his, in league history. The Cardinals, I didn't gone through that crap, that mess, the, time and time again. The Cardinals, they had a bad calendar year of 2022, probably one of the worst calendar years of 2020, one one of the worst calendar years for any team in the league. Where all in one year, I didn't. I, it's funny, all in one year. It's funny. A month ago. About a month and a half ago, I did literally a timeline of every major thing that happened throughout the Cardinals calendar year of 2022. And the season ends, the GM stepped down because of health reasons and so forth. And like I said, hopefully he gets better. But then they fired Cliff Kingsbury. So they fired their coach after just giving him an extension and now their franchise quarterback won't be starting week one because he's coming off of a torn ACL injury. So that that was the Seahawks situation this year. And I think a lot of factors played into them being a playoff team. I think some of which you have to give them credit for. The Seahawks, they were they like they weren't supposed to be good this year, but the mere fact Pete Curl, a great coaching job, but he finally hit on the draft. 
their draft picks, their dra- the players that they drafted, the young players that contributed, they were really good draft picks. They hit well in the draft. The Geno Smith story, one of the better stories, one of the feel-good stories of the year in the NFL throughout the NFL season, that, that came together. And then, like I said, their division was bad. Their division was atrocious. With the exception of the 49ers, their division was atrocious. So that then opened the door for them to be a playoff team. And like I said, there's some people saying, hey, you know, the Lions were playing better at this, at you know, towards the, the end point of the season because of that big time win at Lambeau. But the Seahawks made it there. They did what they needed to do. They they won quite ugly, but they won their season finale versus the Rams. And they got to the playoffs. And obviously we know what happened. They, they got stomped by the 49ers. But I don't want people to look at their season as a wash. Like it was not a wash. It was a complete overachievement. It was like an like one of the better feel-good stories this year. But I, I think at time, like, for instance, when it may be right, you look at teams like the Bills, who came into the season as Super Bowl favorites. I think it is completely objective and and completely okay if you feel like the Bills underachieve. It is completely okay because of the given circumstances and situations. Coming into the season, they were looked upon as not only the AFC the conference AFC conference favorites, right? But Super Bowl favorites. And we had all these good, nice, wet, like these, we added all of these adjectives to, and giving them all of these superlatives all throughout the beginning of the season. We're calling them. And I told you guys, I said, Hey, I think about two, like two months ago ish, like November ish. I was like, uh, you look at Cincinnati, they have all of the ingredients that you want in terms of being the most balanced. Um team in the league which i feel like cincinnati they're the most balanced team in the league they're they can win a variety of ways like everything that we were saying about buffalo buffalo couldn't actually live up to and it was cincinnati so you look at buffalo and i know we just got done talking about the bills but you look at their i'm using them as an example you look at their season how their season in it it's okay to admit that like hey they underachieve massively now, I do think, like, as I told you guys, you turn on the tape, they're not as talented as we made it out to be. Their offensive personnel is not as deep um, and not as talented and well-rounded as we thought it was. I think their offensive line was, uh, it was, I'm not going to say bad, but average at best. They got they got some good players on the line, but I think collectively as a unit, it's average at best. I think you look at like I went over the receiver thing, so I think it's I think it's completely okay to say that they were overrated. But you look at how we I just think it's funny how we we have these preconceived biases and these preconceived notions coming into the season, and depending on how the season ends, we look at it as a like depending on it how it ends we look at it as just a complete utter disappointment. That's how we look at it. I don't know why. I don't know why we do that. I don't, I don't know why we do that. But I think it's, I, I think 
it's part of like the we, we're so results oriented. But that is that is what I think. I feel like we um we we make this great determination on one's season and how it ended, and we like, hey, this is what it was. And I think, like I said, in the Seahawks case, some people may say, hey, the Seahawks didn't deserve to make the playoffs, and I'm like, no. Or the or TCU people say, oh, TCU shouldn't have made the playoff because they got blown out and smacked by Georgia. And I'm like, no. First of all, Georgia was that good where. Doesn't matter who they play, Georgia's gonna win. Now they may not have won to that degree, to that extent, but Georgia would have won versus any team in the country that night. Second of all, no, TCU deserved to be there, and the Seahawks deserved to make the playoffs. Granted, Seattle wasn't playing their best ball towards the latter part of the year, but they got in there. They were good enough to get in. And they 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 did they they got pummeled by the 49ers, which we all expected. But that I don't think that should make us frown upon their season. Whereas on the other side, I think this notion of how the season ends is an is an indictment, it's an like indictment on how the season actually went. And for the Bills, if you want to say all year that they have been overrated and they underachieve in the postseason because of the way it ended to each their own. I think I think that's right too. So you see, you see how like depending on the situation, the stipulations surrounding like contact, I think it's just all context. You gotta contextualize these things. You look at Seattle and how their season ended, it's like wow, like it's it's upside. Like Detroit. They beat Glambo. They beat they beat Green Bay at Lambeau, and they they crushed the play the Packers playoff dreams and hopes, but they didn't make the playoffs. But we're not like oh like no. You hear a lot of optimism about the Lions, and you like there's there's been some people already that like they they see them as the division favorites next year. There's already people saying that. So you see how depending on how the season ends, and. We 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 make these great judgments on either next year or just overall like how the season went, and I think sometimes it's right and it's fair. I think sometimes it's a little unfair to have that thought process. That's all. So that's all I wanted to get to. I think it's a little unfair to have that thought process with certain teams and like with Seattle. It's unfair to have that. Like no, they overachieve. With like you didn't expect much of them to you didn't expect them to beat the 49ers in that playoff game. They got there with young guys. That's the stat. Pete Curl did one of the better coaching jobs this year in the league. And then as for the Bills, like I said, Super Bowl aspirations, championship aspirations, once again another division round loss. So that's how you chalk that up. That's how you chalk that one up. Okay. So you guys know I like doing this. Uh, I think I did this. So I, I definitely did this the last two Super Bowls. The last two Super Bowls, I picked out the 10 best players. The 10 best players on the field. And for, I, I remember too, for the Buccaneers and Chiefs, I did, I think the Buccaneers, they had more players in the top 10. They, I think they had more players in the top 10. I think the Chiefs, I could probably call out the Chiefs guys that I had ranked. The Chiefs had obviously Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Chris Jones. 
After that, what was that? What's that like? Four or five players? Four players? After that, it was the Buccaneers. It was you know some guys on defense. Obviously Brady, a, a receiver. I think you know. I think for the for both championship games, I'm going to give you guys the NFC. In the NFC championship games, we obviously have uh, the 49ers and the Eagles. I think it's this split even. Honestly, I think these, like in terms of rosters, overall rosters at every level, at every step of the position, I think these teams arguably have the two best rosters. I think they have the deepest rosters. They got they got playmakers, multiple playmakers, I would say, at each spot of their unit in terms of defensively in the front seven and the front four and the back end. Um and then offensively they got they got Hall of Fame offensive linemen and so forth. So I I think we're okay here I'm gonna do this. We're gonna do the 10 best players in this game. This is gonna be pretty hard, but we're gonna do the 10 best players in this football game between the Eagles and the 49ers. And we're going to do the same thing for Cincinnati and uh, the Chiefs. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do the AFC. I'm going to do it with the AFCs later this week. I'm going to do the NFCs right now. So let's do it. The point is I've done this before. So at 10, I have, I'm going to put Darius Slay. I'm going to put Darius Slay at 10. I think he's the best defensive back, best secondary player in the game, in this game, in this particular game. Uh, lockdown corner, he's had an all-pro caliber year this year. Um, I think, yeah, he has an all-pro caliber year this year and so forth. So I'm going to go Darius Slay at 10. I'm going to, at 9, I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do George Kittle. George Kittle at 9. He spectacular tight end, pass catching tight end, uh, great phys- great physicality. He feeds right into the Niners play style, uh, can really run block. And, you know, so 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 I think he's at nine. At eight, I'm going to have Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to have Christian McCaffrey at eight. Uh, he's a special, unique player, special, unique talent. He's from the Bay Area. He like he he is something that he's that Swiss Army knife. The Niners already have one in Debo Samuel, but he's that swift army knife that they have kind of been missing. He he brings like a different element. Um, Debo's more north south and physical. Like he is more finesse and east west and can make a make a couple guys miss. And he can break a play for five yard, turn a five yard reception to a thirty yard game. So Christian McCaffrey at eight. This this is where it gets tough. I got Jason Kelsey at seven. One of the better centers in this game. I may even have him too low, but it's just so many groundbreaking players in this game. So I got Jason Kelsey at seven. I got AJ Brown at six. I got AJ Brown at six. Um, he's once again, his his productivity continues to be the same. Uh doesn't matter where he is. He was a little bit more, he was a little bit more healthier this year in Philadelphia. Um, so I got him at six at five. I got Lane Johnson. No, excuse me. I got Fred Warner at five, Fred Warner at five. Fred Warner is the absolute best linebacker in football. He's the best linebacker in football. He, he, 
like the way he covers the pass, I think it was one coverage play he had on CD Lamb. He like it, like it was totally impressive and I'm I'm not sure if there's many linebackers in the league that can cover as well as him and stop the run. He can really do it all. So I got Fred Warner at five. I got Lane Johnson at four. Lane Johnson is he is truly one of uh the better right guards I've ever seen. Or right tackles I've ever seen. Like he's he he like he is that damn good. He's that I think he's he's as valuable as any player outside of Jalen Hurts. He's probably as he's as he's as valuable as any offensive player for Philadelphia that Philadelphia has. Outside of the quarterback. Like Lane Johnson is is him. I got him at four. At three, I got Jalen Hurts. I got Jalen Hurts at three. I think Jalen Hurts at three is appropriate. Um, I think Philly, they're going to need him to play well versus this 49er team. Doesn't have to embarrass them. Doesn't have to play great. I think he has to play really well. I think he's going to have to play really, really well. And if he looks like the third best player in the field, I think that gives a ch- that gives that gives the Eagles a really good chance. At two, I got Trent Williams. I'm sorry. Trent Williams is the absolute best left tackle in football. He's been the best left tackle in football for some time now. He's a supreme Hall of Fame talent. Like I said, similar to Renee Johnson, Trent Williams is he is one of those players where I don't care the Niners can be drafting left tackle for the next five years, five, six years. They won't, they won't, they won't get this type, they won't get this good of a player at left tackle. It, it like he's a once in a generation type player. Like he's the priest. I'll go out on the limb. I'm skeptical of saying this, but I'll go out on the limb and say Trent Williams is probably the best left tackle I've seen with my two eyes. I have like, He's the best left tackle that I've watched and seen with his with my two eyes in terms of technique, physicality, um, versatility. He does like he checks all of the boxes. Athletic athleticism, he checks all of the boxes, really, honestly. And then at one, I got Nick Bosa. I got Nick Bosa at one. I think uh it's a toss-up between him and Trill Williams, but Nick Bosa, he I mean, absolute monster at pass rusher. I mean, monster pass rusher. Um, he's probably gonna win defensive player of the year this year. He had a couple big time plays down the stretch of that of that Cowboys game. I would expect that if the Niners walk away with this thing, I think the Niners, I'm gonna pick the 49ers to win. But uh I would imagine Nick Bosa is gonna have a lot in it. He's gonna have a lot to do with that. Um and with the, you know, to do with them winning um and getting to the quarterback and Jalen Hurts and slowing down this Eagles offense. So I think that's always cool to do. I think if I look at it, so yeah, it's it's equal. It's pretty equal. It's five five Eagles players, five Niners players. Um, I like I, I've been saying it all year. I think highly of these teams in terms of the talent. You lift up the garage, you see nothing but foreigns. I mean, we're talking Rolls Royce, we're talking uh, Ferrari, Lambo, like. You look, you look at how both of these teams are constructed. They got a lot of premium talent. You're looking at a lot of premium talent all over the field, um, and with some young quarterbacks like Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts, that that helps. That helps. 
that it, it helps a, a damn lot. And Jalen Hurts had a great year. Brock Purdy's had a really good stretch. Uh, so it's it's gonna be really interesting to see because these and here's the thing: these opposing quarterbacks, when they play the 49ers, they have to play like Brock Purdy doesn't have to play great for the 49ers to win. Jalen Hurts, like the Eagles are gonna need Jalen Hurts to play his best game of the year. The Niners don't need, they don't need Brock Purdy to play the best game of his life. They don't need that. I think that's the I think that's the interesting dynamic. The Niners don't need Brock Purdy to play the best game of his life. The Eagles will probably need Jalen Hurts to play the best game of the season versus this Niners team. So it's interesting to see the dynamic. Um, I'm going to close it out right here. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, I'm going to try to come back on with you guys later on this week as we get closer and closer to Sunday where we have the conference championship games, AFC, NFC. I think the NFC one, I think NFC, I think the Niners and the Eagles play first, and then we got Cincinnati and, and the Chiefs. I, I talk about that game later this week. I'll give you my picks later this week and so forth. Always remember two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace, gone, deuces. Hope you guys enjoyed.